Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. It's great seeing all of you here today. My name is Michael, and I am the lead pastor here at Christ the King Church, and you're here on Family Sunday, which means there's more kids in here than usual, and uh, so hopefully I can uh, keep the kids uh, from, or maybe you'd want them to fall asleep, I don't know, whether it's awake or asleep, who knows, but it's great having the kids in here. Um, We're doing a series through the Gospel of Luke, and we're... um, kind of in a middle section, getting closer to the end of the book, Um, but we're looking at different teachings of Jesus during this section, and today we're at a parable, a famous parable, the parable of the Minas, parable of the Minas, and um, the parable of the Minas is about the kingdom of God and about the delay of the kingdom of God, uh, or the delay of the return of Christ, I should say. So Jesus taught about the kingdom of God more than any other subject. And the kingdom of God starts small and it grows amongst his ministry and in his disciples and it is present in the, in the person of Christ. Um, and in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the witness of the church, the kingdom of God grows and expands over time until at the last he comes back, he returns and he ushers in the fullness of his kingdom. So whenever Jesus returns, we will, or he will glorify his people, he will judge the world in righteousness and justice, and he will crush his enemies and put them under his feet. Jesus Christ will be exalted over all, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess in heaven and earth and under the earth, everyone, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's called the day of the Lord. That's at the very end when Christ comes back. We might also call it judgment day. Where everything sad will come untrue, every wrong will be made right. This is the kingdom of God as it is promised in Scripture. It is 100% certain. What I just described to you is a fact. The things future are just as certain as the things past. It's not a matter of if it will happen. It's just a matter of when it will happen. And that's what this parable is about. This parable is about the fact that the kingdom of God in its fullness, the return of Christ, is going to take some time, and there is something he calls us to do while we wait his return. So when, when will Jesus return? We don't know. But what should we be doing until Jesus returns? That's what we're here to talk about. Let's dig in. We're in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 And I'm going to give you a running commentary through um, a few of these verses here. We'll start here um, in in verse, verse 11 of Luke 19. There we go. Verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So let me just pause here for a second. Right up front, Luke, the author of this book, is cluing us in, giving us an interpretive key to the parable. Jesus' return will be delayed for a while. He's talking to people who assumed it would happen right away. And he's teaching this to indicate to them it's not going to happen right away, but there's going to be some delay And this parable is about what his disciples, his followers, should be doing while he's gone. Let's keep going. 
He said, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Remember that. Engage in business, that's what we're supposed to do, until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So we have servants and we have citizens. Two groups of people. The citizens, these here in verse 14, those are his opponents. Servants and citizens are two different groups. Citizens are opposed to him. His servants are those who are loyal to him. And each servant is given one mina. A mina would have been worth about three months' wages. So first quarter of this year, whatever you earned, that would have been about a mina, you know, in this ancient economy. Verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So now, as the parable is being told, we're fast-forwarding to judgment day, right? We're at the end of all things when Christ returns, and when he returns, he's going to call his servants together and ask them to give an account. What have you earned? What have you gained by the business that you've engaged in while I was away? So the nobleman has returned, he's coronated himself as king, he's fully going to establish his reign, and he's going to dole out rewards to his servants according to what they've earned. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Both of these servants made crazy profits, right? They had, they had one mina, and then when he came back, one guy made ten more, and another guy made five more. So a ten, tenfold increase and a fivefold increase. And then he rewarded them with rewards that were even more crazy in its disproportion to what they had done. So imagine if you made, you had three months wages, you know, after some time, you earned 10 times as much, and then the master comes back, and he says, I want to give you 10 cities. You get Chicago. Well, maybe that's not a reward. Um, you'll get uh, Cincinnati, Columbus. Uh, maybe I should stop. Um, the Lord will give you 10 cities, cities to be in charge of based on what they had earned. So we see the king is extravagantly generous with his people. He gives massive rewards for their faithfulness. And he said, you've been faithful in a little bit, just a little bit that you are faithful in, and I'm going to reward you with great things. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. 
What's his excuse? He was afraid. He was afraid. So he gave him back what he originally got. He said, well, here, here it is back. I stuffed away under my mattress or in a handkerchief, but he didn't invest it. He didn't turn a profit. It didn't grow. And his excuse was fear. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. Now, the word severe is only used in this passage in the whole New Testament, two times, but it's all, both of them are in this passage. And it's difficult to translate. So different, you might, if you have a different Bible translation, you, you might see something different. The New American Standard says you are an exacting man. The NIV says you are a hard man. The New Revised Standard Version says you are a harsh man. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says you're a tough man. The King James says thou art an austere man. <laughs> but you see a wide variety of, of uh, translations of this word. And so whenever we hear severe man or whatever word you might have, it's, it's, he's not indicating he's unfair or he's unjust, or he's just mean. Because we've already seen with the way he treated the faithful servants that he's extravagantly generous. So the idea of being exacting, precise, high standards, demanding, those, are, those give you the idea of what he's talking about here. So the king is like an investor. He, it says here, he takes what he did not deposit, and he reaps what he did not sow. So he, he invested money, in, in, a, in a, an adventure, and then he expects a profit from that investment. So you could, you could think of him as a venture capitalist. So a venture capitalist are people who, they have money that they invest in other companies that have high growth potential. So uh, one venture capitalist, a man's name is Jim Breyer. He invested early on in Facebook. And he put money in there to help, you know, this ragtag band of, you know, coding nerds help them to get their business up and, up and running and to help it to scale. So he invested money in it, but his expectation was that if the company grows and turns a profit, then he will reap the rewards of that. That's what, that's what this king here has done. He's a venture capitalist. And the thing about venture capitalists is that they know that there's risk involved, right? I'm sure Jim Breyer, he, he thought he'd picked a winner, which he did. But if it didn't work out, it's not as though he would feel like he'd been cheated because he, he, uh, he took a risk. Venture capitalist is a risky business. Risk is part of the deal. It's a high risk, high reward type of proposition. That's how it works. So this king invested in these 10 startups. He's got these 10 servants. He's like, okay, you guys are like 10 startups. And the first two guys, they turned in a nice profit. And he rewarded them. And he himself shared some of the reward, but his generosity towards them far outweighs whatever they returned. But the third guy didn't do anything. The third guy didn't, he didn't even try. He didn't even put his money at the bank. So the king is not unfair or unjust, but he is strict, as we'll see as we go through here, because he's going to call this guy to account. He is strict. He does have high standards, but he's not unfair. And the servant here, knowing this, this king, this master, he was afraid. He was afraid of failure. He was too scared to take a risk. So he didn't do anything. Verse 22, here's the king's response. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man. There's that word again. 
taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said those, to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he already has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. To everyone who has, more will be given. He's generous. He's a generous king. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So this is the unfaithful servant he's talking about here who didn't do anything. He didn't increase any profit. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. All right. So the master condemns the servant for, for not doing anything, for not turning any profit at all. He, he, he condemns him for not only because he didn't obey him, but also didn't trust him. The servant didn't trust the master because he was afraid. The servant had zero risk tolerance. And since he knew that the king had very high standards, as we've already seen, but the king, the king is not only one of high standards, he's also very generous. And he loves to reward his faithful servants. But since he wasted his opportunity, he didn't even do the minimum of putting money in the bank to collect it with interest, the king took his mina away from him and gave it to the faithful guy who had been out there in the streets hustling, working hard, earning a profit for his master. He said, give it to that guy. That guy's faithful. Let me, let me give it to the guy who's actually doing something. He has the guts and the tenacity to do something with what he had been entrusted with. Now, verse 27 might be a little troubling. As for these enemies of mine, is he talking about this servant? No, I don't think so. I think he's referring to the citizens. If you recall, that, that was back in uh, verse 14. They were the ones who opposed him. We don't want this guy to be king over us. They sent a delegation after him to the far country where he was to receive his kingdom. These citizens were rebellious. They were, they, they were his enemies. And so they have not factored into the story from the first mention of them until now and then here they show up again. So they re opposed him, revolted against him, and the king is severe in the other way with these guys. And here I can, we see that he is harsh, and this is, this is what Jesus tells us he is like, what God is like. He is harsh with his enemies. And so if for those at the judgment day at the last thing, if they do not repent and surrender to Jesus, then they will be forced to do so, and then they will be judged for eternity. Everybody will give an account. You have his enemies will give an account, verse, 20, verse uh, 27. And then you have his servants will give an account, the first, second, and third servant. And this refers to the final state. Verse 27 tells us this is what it will be like at the end of all things whenever he comes back, he ushers in his rule fully. There's judgment day, rewards and punishments, uh, depending on you know, what you did and your faith in Christ or lack thereof. And then his servants are rewarded. And those who are enemies of God are punished. He will vanquish every enemy. All right, now that's the parable. I have two application points for you today. Two application points. Here's the first one. Every Christian is a spiritual entrepreneur. 
God has invested in you and in your life with gifts and opportunities and as expectation is that you will turn a profit for his kingdom. Every Christian is a spiritual entrepreneur. God has invested you with gifts and opportunities to turn a profit for his kingdom. So we saw in the parable earlier, he says, engage in business until I come. That was his command to all the servants, that everybody got a mina. He says, engage in business until I come. And then when he comes back, he wants to see his business to have gained a profit, to have grown. And the servants here um, would presumably be all of his followers. That's you and that's me. We are all the servants. He's given us things. He wants us to turn a profit. There's a spiritual entrepreneurship. We want to multiply and grow the business, as it were, of the kingdom. We'll talk about what that means, but the business of the kingdom. So don't just stand there, do something. That's the, that's the mindset here. Engage in business. Now, what I just said about spiritual entrepreneurship, that might sound, that's weird. I've not heard it put that way before. Well, if not, then take comfort. Um, that's simply a repackaging of something that is much more familiar, which we know as the Great Commission. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Spiritual entrepreneurship is here as well. Make disciples. So right now in... 2023, there are however many, who knows, X number of disciples on planet Earth. By this time next year, 2024, that number will have increased. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a yield, that's a profit for the kingdom. And then there will be many people who are more mature in Christ next year than they are now. And there are people who have taken steps of faith next year that they have not taken yet. And there are resources that will be developed. There are businesses that will be started. There will be um, children that will be born and discipled. There will be classes taught. There will be churches planted. All kinds of things that will happen within what we call the the church or the kingdom of God that is, is doing business, doing the work of the kingdom in all various spheres Next year will be an increase from this year. And everybody has a part to play in it. It could be the prayers that you prayed for all of the above. And that is your mina, that is your gift, that is your passion. And you devote yourself, you're on your knees praying for all of these things. That could be how you engage in business. It's praying for those things. But everybody has some part to play. You've got a mina. Some of you have two or three. Maybe some of you have ten. But we've all got... We've all got a mina, some gift. So the master has given you resources. And my, it's not just money. Whenever we th- if we think of this purely as money, then we're going to miss so much of the application of this. Of course, money is part of it. If you make money, you give it to Christian causes, praise the Lord. But that's, that's not the only application. It's everything he's given to you. And everything that you have, you've received from him. And he ex- he's entrusted it to you for your own use, but also for the use of serving your brothers and sisters in Christ, serving your fellow neighbors, serving uh, in the kingdom of God. And so what has the master given you? Well, we've all you know, got some uh, money, maybe. <laughs> maybe you don't have any money, but, uh, but we've all got, you know, someday you might have some money, so we've got money, there's time. You have natural abilities. We have uh, intellect, 
you have your, um, your property. You have a house, a car, you have your personal property, things like that. You have spiritual gifts, things that are enabled in you by the Holy Spirit. Talents. We have knowledge, things that you've learned. Some of you have wisdom, things that you've learned how to apply in your life. You have experience, you have influence. Some of you have authority in some way. But all of us have some opportunities around us to engage in business, do business until the kingdom, until the the king returns. Turn a profit. Multiply what you've got. Take what you have right now and you can multiply it by various ways. If, If you have knowledge and you teach someone else that knowledge, we've had a net gain in the kingdom, because your knowledge, you don't lose it by giving it, right? You've, you've, you've given it to somebody else, and now we have two people that share that knowledge. And then they might, have, they might all share that same knowledge, and we now have four or eight people that have that same knowledge. It's a net profit for the kingdom. It's increase. And God wants you to use the assets that he's entrusted to you and increase for the kingdom of God. More disciples, more knowledge, more prayer, more people built up in faith, more money invested in kingdom causes, more love in the body of Christ, more Christian businesses doing good work, more hungering and thirsting for righteousness. All of these things can be yields in the business of the kingdom and you are a spiritual entrepreneur that God has called to do business in the kingdom. The increases aren't always measurable. We're not always going to be able to put it on a balance sheet. It's not going to fit in a ledger. But they're real, and they make a difference in the kingdom. Let me brag on a city group. Alex mentioned a bit ago about Peter and Rachel having a new baby. And because it was an adoption, um, they didn't, it's not like they could you know, know the due date and be able to plan and stuff. They were just kind of in this preparation time for, for months and months on, on end, not knowing when the day would come. And then when the day come, it was like, you gotta, gotta get moving. So they were, they went out of town to, to get the baby. And it was like, this was a very sudden thing that was thrust upon them. Well, uh, somebody in their city group, I, I don't know all the details, but you know, I heard, Peter told me about it um, this past Monday. So many group had a key to their, where they live, and uh, while they were gone, the whole city group came over, and they said, Peter and Rachel said, like, they cleaned this place like, like ne- it's never been cleaned before. They cleaned things we didn't even know could be cleaned. So like washing windows and ceiling, like all this stuff, they just cleaned this place. They, got, they came home, and their refrigerator and freezer were stocked with meals that were, that were pre-prepared. All of that happened, and that's... To me, that's, a, that's, a, that's doing business in the kingdom. That's a net increase for the kingdom. Not only because a couple, of, a family with a new baby was blessed, but also there is an increase in every one of the individual Christians' account spiritually for having served in such a way, for being faithful to make some sacrifice to give in some way to bless another family. And so whoever came up with that idea, their account in heaven is, uh, grew a little bit bigger after that. But that's doing business of the kingdom. It's not, you're not always going to be able to measure it. You're not always going to be saying, okay, this person became a Christian because we did that. 
We're, we don't always see it. We, the, the, the yields are often things we can't see and we believe them by faith, but they're real. They are real things. That's the first application point. Here's the second application point. God's grace gives you the freedom to take risks. God's grace gives you the freedom to take risks. The third servant. Jesus called him a wicked servant. What was it that that servant said to to the master? He said, I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. The master wanted him to engage in business. That was the command. He's a venture capitalist. He knows risk is part of the game. Do something. But verse 21, the servant said, I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man. He wasn't simply afraid of losing the mina. He was afraid of the king himself. He figured it's better to protect what I've got than to risk losing it to gain more. And he was wrong. It was like a quarterback, you know, at the end of a, end of a game, fourth quarter. Time is running out on the clock. You know, you got, you got one last heave. It's fourth down. One last heave into the end zone. Game is on the line. And he, he, he sees, a, he sees a, an open receiver, but he's afraid of throwing an interception. So instead of throwing the ball, he takes a sack on the final play of the game. He's, he's playing. He's not playing to win. He's playing not to lose. And so, so he takes the sack. Let's say the coach pulls him aside after the game and, and saying, what, what did you do that for? That was so dumb. Why didn't, you, why didn't you just throw it? And he said, well, I figured you would be mad if I threw an interception. That's the, that's the attitude of this servant. I was afraid of you. You're a severe man. I was afraid of you, coach. You're a severe coach. You yell at your players all the time. If I threw an interception, you would have yelled at me. And he didn't recognize that that's the moment when you should have taken a risk. You should have put it all out on the line for the sake of the game. You've let your team down. We've lost because you were unwilling to take a a risk. So this servant was wicked because he let his fear of failure and fear of angering the coach cost the game. Or in the case of the parable, he he did not yield an increase. There is kingdom business that went undone. Not because he lacked opportunity. Not because he lacked resources. But because he was afraid. He cared more about himself than the kingdom. And so he took his light and he hid it under a bushel. And he didn't let it shine. Now a lot of times with Christians, a clever game that we play with ourselves is we, we, we excuse this kind of behavior because we define sin and obedience negatively. Meaning we, we define sin and obedience in terms of things we abstain from. And so that's what the servant did. He, he's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't take a risk. But guess what? Here's your mina. Here's your mina back. But what the king wanted was for him to invest, to do something, to engage in business. But he... He defined success negatively. Well, I didn't lose it. We do things like this. We define sin or righteousness or faithfulness in God's kingdom as, well, Lord, 
I, di- I didn't make a profit, but let me tell you, I, I didn't do drugs. I didn't steal. I didn't lie, um, except for this one, but no, don't hold that against me. <laughs> I, didn't lie. I, I didn't have sex before marriage. I didn't look at pornography. So my faithfulness is measured by all the things I didn't do. I'm great, right? No, you're just like that servant. You didn't engage in business. You didn't yield a profit. And so it's, the way that I read this parable, the servant is still a servant. He's, Jesus didn't destroy him or cast him into utter darkness, but he, he certainly reprimanded him. You didn't do what I told you to do. So if we conclude that all God cares about is being squeaky clean and not doing bad things, if we define goodness and righteousness and obedience by abstaining from bad things, then we're missing out on all the opportunities before us to do good things, to actually yield an increase for God's kingdom. And so if you live your life constantly worried that God will smite you, if you step out of line, you'll never take a risk. And if you never take a risk, you'll never engage in business for the kingdom. You'll never advance. You'll never take ground for the kingdom of God. And when it comes to the advance of the kingdom of God, playing it safe is a losing strategy. Trust me, God has a high risk tolerance. And why wouldn't he? He's sovereign over all things. His victory is as certain as the air we breathe, is as certain as us sitting in here right now. His victory is assured. His promise in Philippians 2 is that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is unquestionably going to happen. It is certain. And so those of us who are his servants in his kingdom, we are called to take strategic risks within the context of his sovereign power and his ultimate victory. Every gain for the kingdom of God is going to last forever. Every gain for the kingdom of darkness will be destroyed. And since God is gracious and generous, he will never ultimately lose. So we're free to take strategic risks for his kingdom. A man of weak faith lives by risk avoidance. He's not playing to win. He's playing not to lose. But he loses anyway. Look, master, I didn't lose your money. Here you go. And the king says, take his mina and give it to the other guy. That guy is faithful. And so Jesus shows us here that the kingdom of God is a high risk, high reward venture. And the kingdom of God moves forward through strategic risks. And his kingdom is on the advance. Even now, it might not seem like it. But his kingdom is always on the advance. It's always moving forward. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it, meaning that we are always on offense. And we don't take ground without calculated risks. Yes, we will take some temporary losses. Yes, there will be momentary setbacks. We're going to make mistakes. But God is gracious through all of those things. He knows risk is part of the equation. But God is not honored by staying inside our protective bubbles, never venturing out, never getting our hands dirty. God is honored by bold and courageous faith when Christian men and women step out and risk their reputations and their lives for the kingdom. So have faith, trust God that he is gracious to cover your sins and your weaknesses and your mistakes and do something bold for his kingdom. What kind of risks? What kind of risks are we talking about? 
Well, you could share the gospel with someone and you could risk losing your relationship with that person. I would imagine many of you, this is maybe one of your chief excuses for never sharing your faith. I know this because it's mine, frankly. I'm like, well, yeah, they did just ask me how they can know Jesus Christ personally and be saved from their sins, but I don't know if this is really the right moment. Uh, You know, I could say it wrong. I might get the four laws backwards and add a fifth or, you know, forget one. I might, you know, I might, you know, I could say something heretical. And if I do that, well, then it's, it's going to be gone forever. So I, I, I need to wait. I want to pray. Lord, show me the moment. Show me the moment. I want to pray. And we don't do anything. We don't say anything because we're afraid of what it might cost us if we don't succeed. That's a risk. You could take a stand and speak out for Christian truth in an appropriate place and risk upsetting people, risk losing friends. A man that was at our conference, one of our speakers, you know, he talks about having a theology of losing your job. He said, Christians need to have a theology of losing their job so that way they're prepared to take the risk of saying what needs to be said at the right time because they've already counted the cost in advance. That's a risk you could take. Or maybe you've got a great idea. You could start a new ministry and it could flop, catastrophically fail. And then people will all stand around you and be like, I told you so. That was a dumb idea. You should never have done that. You could do that. Fine. That's, that's a risk we take. A family might make big changes and restructure things, make significant financial decisions in order to prioritize the raising of their children. And that could cause massive financial stress. And it could end up get, making things even worse financially. That could happen. But the thing is, is that the step of faith itself, the step of faith to move into a risk is itself a benefit to the kingdom. Even if the tangible result is something negative or you would consider it a loss, the step of faith itself is a benefit to the kingdom. It's an asset. It's, it's growth in your life. One of the biggest risks that um, I've ever taken in ministry, Laura and I did it together, was moving to Cincinnati to plant this church. So we moved to Cincinnati and we bought a house. And uh, at the time we bought the house, I was like, you know, we're paying for this house with money from a salary from a church that doesn't exist yet. (laughs) Uh, We'd raise the support, but we knew that that wasn't going to last forever. And so that was a big risk. And looking back, I was like, I don't know if that was a wise thing to do, but you know, it worked out. If this, none of this is a sure thing. But we devoted it to prayer. We sought counsel from godly men and women and church leaders, and we went for it. And God blessed it. And now, in all of this, I know for a fact that there was a lot of sinful motives in my own heart. There's a lot of things mixed up. I was probably being impatient. I probably wanted to prove something. I was probably craving praise from humans. There was one man, when we were raising support, he's like, I know Cincinnati. I know the neighborhood you're looking at. That's a dumb idea. I wanted to prove him wrong. Eat that, Rick. (laughs) And I'm like, man, that's ugly. That's ugly in my heart. Now, if I would have just like, okay, I'm... When my motives are pure, that's when we'll move. When, when, we've, when we're, we're sanctified sufficiently, that's when we'll step out. 
Well, of course, I'd still be waiting because there's always sinful stuff mixed up in what we do. It's always there. So it was a matter of stepping out in faith, trusting, okay, God, like, you, you're going to have to meet us in this, and you're going to, you're going to have to account, and, and account for my own sin. And that doesn't mean God's going to overlook it and say it doesn't matter. No, it's like God has been sanctifying me. Believe me, God has been sanctifying me through the process of doing all of this. We could have failed. This, this could have been a catastrophic failure. And even that failure, God would have used it to sanctify me. And that would have been a net benefit for the kingdom that would not have happened apart from the risk. Win-win. In my ministry, there have been plenty of other risks that I've taken, and they have failed. Big time. Failed in ways that I feel embarrassed about. And that embarrassment is oftentimes the thing that I most want to avoid because I care what people think too much. I love my own honor too much. But this is, this is where it's like, okay, God, you, you, you are gracious. I have to trust your grace at work in my life and do something knowing that there are risks, even the risks that my own presence in the endeavor brings to the table. Now, I tell you this, I'm, I was hesitant to tell you this because I don't want to paint myself as a hero of a story. I'm not. This is one testimony of one risk that God blessed in the midst of many others that I've taken that God God did not bless, where I failed. And your story will be similar. Who cares? Ultimately, who cares? It doesn't, our failures are not catastrophic. I, I say these things to encourage you to think about areas where you might take a risk to stick out your neck a little, to do something uncomfortable. You know, I, I was thinking of this while Alex was talking about that Taste of Cincinnati outreach. And frankly, when he said it, I'm like, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> Going down there and just talking to strangers and telling them about Jesus. Um, I'm an introvert. If somebody calls me and says, Michael, let me take you to coffee. I have lots of theological questions about Christianity. I'm game for that. But to be the one initiating the conversation, that, that's really uncomfortable for me. And you're probably thinking the same thing. Man, that's terrifying. That's the last thing I'd want to do. And maybe that's exactly what you need to do because it's a risk. We didn't collude this, by the way. I just thought of it. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God is not a zero-sum game. I, I want to make sure you get this. The kingdom of God is not a zero-sum game. What I mean is the kingdom of God can advance even as Satan's kingdom also advances. In the end, every gain for the kingdom of God will last forever. And every gain for Satan's kingdom will be destroyed. Don't expect advances in God's kingdom to correspond with losses in Satan's kingdom because it's not zero sum. There is a parable Jesus taught about this in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And the point of the parable is that the wheat and the weeds both grow together in the same field. You have the wheat growing up, and then you have weeds growing up around it. Both are growing. Both are advancing. You don't, it's not zero sum where a gain for one is a loss for the other. In the kingdom of God, it's going to be advancing even while Satan's kingdom may also be advancing. 
So you might be looking out in the world and seeing like, hey, Satan's kingdom is, ad- is advancing. It's time to retreat. That is not the mindset we should have. That is what the unfaithful servant would do, which is I want to hide my mind. I want to protect what I got and I want to head for safety. No, that's, that's zero-sum thinking. The kingdom of God can advance in the midst of the advance of Satan's kingdom. So we need not be discouraged or deterred from kingdom work whenever we look over and we see Satan's kingdom growing. We see bad things happening. Folks, this is my temptation. I see bad things happening and I'm like, man, things are rough. But it might be rough. That doesn't mean God's kingdom is in retreat. The wheat and the weeds grow together. Just because the weeds are growing, that doesn't mean there's no wheat. They both can grow at the same time. So for you and for me, stay faithful to what God has called you to do. Keep trusting, keep working, keep building for the kingdom of God, knowing that there might be difficulty, there might be pain involved. But none of our heroes did anything that they accomplished without significant pain and failure and loss. But their earthly pain, failure, and loss was a gain for eternity. And at the end of their lives, having accomplished what the Lord called them to do, I am sure they entered into their reward, having heard from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And so for us, when the king returns in the end, Jesus will reward his faithful people. And for his enemies, those who are promoting the kingdom of Satan, he will deal with them with righteousness and justice. And that's not our concern. So as we wrap up here, when Jesus returns, we're all going to stand before him. Even those of you in this room who are like, you could be a hardened atheist. I hate God. And why am I here in a church? I don't know, but I hate God. We could be the most hardened atheist. You will stand before God. You will bend a knee before Jesus Christ and you will proclaim with your mouth, he is Lord, whether you like it or not. And also, those of you who are Christians, we too will stand before the Lord and we will gladly cast our crowns back towards him and bow in submission gloriously and joyfully to our King Jesus, saying, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. But everybody will stand before him and give an account for our lives. And when that day comes, Christians, what will your testimony be? Lord, look, here's your mina. Got it right here. Oh, there it is. Here's your mina, Lord. Took good care of it for you. Now, I know I didn't earn any profit, but listen, listen. The whole time I was on my best behavior. I didn't watch any bad movies. Uh, I didn't even cuss. I knew some Christians that cuss. I didn't even cuss, Lord. I was squeaky clean. Um, nobody got mad at me. I didn't ruffle any feathers. I didn't take any risk. I, didn't, I never really spoke out. I was always very kind and loving all the time. I never did anything that would upset anybody. I kept all of, all of your, your mind here safely tucked away here in my sweet little heart and... You're welcome. He's not going to be pleased with that testimony. But there will be others of you, and you will say, Lord, I took some big risks. I stuck my neck out there. I almost went bankrupt a couple times. Not going to lie, I was freaking out. Lord, I've, I've, and you know all my, my mistakes. I, I screwed up a bunch, Lord. You know that one time? Well, you know what I'm thinking. You know that? Lord, I screwed up. That was... That was I learned from that though. I grew because of what, I, of, of what you taught me through that. And even though it was rough out there, Lord, I was, I was hustling. 
I was busting my tail. I was engaged in business because I wanted to see your kingdom thrive and grow. I wanted to see the church built up. I wanted to see the knowledge of the glory of God fill the earth as waters cover the sea. And I dedicated my life to that, turned things around, and there's some good that came from it. Lord, here are your improvements. Here are your increases. If that's your testimony, you will be rewarded for that. Because you trusted him enough, even in the midst of your failure and weakness and sin, to do something. Listen, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, we just know he will. And when he comes back, we will give an account. And the God that you are giving an account to is the one who sent his son to die for you. He is gracious and merciful. Yeah, he has high standards. He's God. He is the standard. But he is... He loves us. So ultimately, we don't have anything to lose. We don't have anything to lose that is not already his anyway. It's like we're playing with house money. You know, gamblers? Gamblers go in. I got $100 in my wallet. I'm only going to gamble that $100. They play a few hands of poker, and they make $100 more. They're like, sweet, I'm going to put that original 100 back in my wallet. And now I'm going to play on house money. I can't lose. We're playing with house money. We can't lose. Everything is already his. Everything that, you, that you've been given was given to you by him. It's his anyway. And at the end of all things, it's still going to be his. And he's going to distribute rewards according to his own, his own sovereign plan and as, as, a, as a just accounting for what you've done. That's the God we serve. He's gracious. He's extraordinarily, extravagantly gracious. So don't be afraid Trust God. Step out in faith. Take a risk. Do something bold for the kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you are the sovereign God who has all control. You have all power. There's nothing that can ultimately thwart the purposes of your kingdom and you choose to work through us. You choose to use us to bring about good things in the world, to bring about an increase in your kingdom. And so we ask you, God, that you will strengthen us with courage to do something courageous, do something bold. Lord, for those of us here that are just risk averse or we're, we're afraid, we're afraid of making a mistake, we're afraid of screwing up, we're afraid of your displeasure, Lord, give us an appropriate mindset that can with wisdom see what strategic and calculated risk might we take to step out in faith and do something. And so, Father, I pray right now for every heart here. Holy Spirit, give us one thing, one thing that we can commit to you now as a strategic risk. Give us wisdom to know what we should do and give us courage to do it. Thank you, Jesus, that it's all by your grace. Because on the cross, you died for every sin, every mistake, every failure, so that we have nothing to look forward to other than eternal reward. We praise you. We thank you for all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.